This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Most of the time, a marketer is trying to convince you that their product or service will make your life better or solve some problem that you have. Sometimes the problems are big, sometimes they're small, and sometimes, especially if you're Craig Henriksen, they are industry impacting. Craig is the vice president of marketing for Kinestral Technologies, and he is helping to introduce and sell smart glass technology that will change the way construction is done. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Craig explains how you go about selling something to an industry that is historically stubborn and resistant to change. Plus, he tells some stories from his past when he worked at places like Bose and iRobot. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, and we are here in a beautiful, sunny, but now a little shady room here in Hayward, California. We'll get into why that is. We're going to talk about all things marketing, as always, uh, and we're going to get a little bit into your career. How are things? Things are going great here in Hayward and uh, in California in general and in the, the smart building space. Let's get into your background. So how did you get started in marketing? Uh, I kind of fell into it, to be honest. I started my career as an engineer, um, an electrical engineer. And uh, while I was studying to be an engineer, I had interned at Bose, uh, the speaker company. And so I had made some good contacts there. I had a, a short but uh, meteoric career as an engineer. I worked for a startup, uh, went through the whole uh, the whole gamut. Um, you know, we we started, thought we were going to change the world in... in um, in a few months' time, we thought we'd solved all the world's problems. And then a few months after that, right around the dot-com crash, we were all out of work wondering what happened. <laughs> so, so that was my first career. And I think that was my first um, exposure to the business side. Because as an engineer, I just didn't understand. I thought we had solved the problem. And uh, so I think uh, actually I, I, uh, that led to my... Um, next career, which was I went and studied business. I went and went to get a, a, a master's in business and specifically international business. And I knew I wanted to travel. I wanted to see the world, try something new. And so when I, when I finished studying business, you know, everybody was looking around for what next and you go to your contacts and a lot of my contacts were at Bose. And so I happened to find a role. I, I knew someone pretty senior at the company just through my internship and kind of naively called him up and he he was, you know, one of the senior fellows at the company and he put me in touch with the right people and I got a job as a product manager. And uh, I didn't even know what that role was. And, but it sounded pretty interesting. They were um, very influential at Bose, the product management group. You got to be technical, but still work on marketing. That sounded great. And that was my first step into marketing and kind of a uh, fortuitous turn of events is Bose happens to be a very academic place. So it was a great place to learn. And I want to get into some of the Bose stories in a little bit. So flash forward to today, tell me about um, what what is your current role at Kinestral? My current role is as vice president of marketing. Uh, marketing is a pretty general term. It can have all kinds of uh, meanings. I cover everything from that 
that does not include product management. So product marketing, branding, social media, online, um, a lot of our engagements with high-level customers, uh, even dig into a little bit on the business development side. Well, let's get into smart class because uh, I have a, I have a fun smart class story for you in a second. Um, smart tinting glass. Uh, tell me about like the industry for our listeners who don't understand. Like we were kind of chatting before the episode about this, and I, I kind of view this as one of those problems that is every single you know building in the future is going to have this. It's just a matter of um, you know it's it's an obvious product. It fits the exact need for. The market, it fits a need for, uh, you know, being low, low carbon emissions and all that sort of stuff. It makes sense money wise, looks better, feels better. This is one of those great products. So t- tell me a little bit about the, the product that you all are building and, and why, you know, it is kind of clearly the future. Yeah. Maybe I'll, I'll go back to why I joined the company because it's, it, it's right in the question you're asking is I joined the company uh, about five years ago when I was out of a, a a great position at iRobot working on robots, which very cool, right? So something had to been there that caused me to, to leave that. And when I visited the company, I took it just out of curiosity, I think, was this technology company that had these big ambitions and they called me. Why would you call me a consumer products guy? And what their pitch was, and they had this little device, this little piece of glass, about six inches by six inches, and they showed it to me and I was I was still confused and they put a, a nine volt battery on it and it tinted in front of my eyes. And they said, we think this should be, as you said, in every building, in every car, anywhere you see glass. And we want this to be a consumer friendly product. We don't know how to do that. And that's what caused my, my attention. I said, well, that's interesting is maybe I can take some of the things I learned in this consumer products companies and apply that to this kind of stodgy risk averse construction industry and, and make a difference. And just in terms of opportunity, to your point, it was you start looking around and you actually pay attention to where glass is on your face, in your car, in your home. It's everywhere. We love it. We need it. Wow. What an opportunity. Yeah. It is definitely the thing that um, it's like when you get a new car, right? You're like, wow, now all of a sudden I see all of these Priuses around or whatever it is, or all these Toyota Tacomas. Yeah. Um, it is one of those things when you learn about smart glass and the technology, you're like, wait a second, this should just be in every building. Um, so it, you you showed me a demo before we got started here. Uh, you talked to Alexa a little bit and then automatically, uh, you know, the windows magically tinted. Um but it's beyond just that, right? You're talking about a, a building that's sitting in in Austin, Texas, or wherever it is that is super hot. How does it get cold? You got to just run a ton of AC to cool the whole building down. Well, wouldn't it be magical if there was uh, the ability for the windows to just automatically tint without having you know people pulling blinds and doing our automatic blinds and all these things? Nobody really likes blinds. Um, it's just a much easier way. So it seems like again, this isn't just Hey, it's great to have tinted windows. This is energy savings. It's efficient. Like it, it seems like it's such a no brainer. Yeah. And in, in marketing speak, I would say, does this solve a real problem? You know, this is the things our discipline is when you're trying to look at a technology and turn it into a product, it's as a product, does it solve a real problem? And you just touched on, this is a huge problem, but we're just so used to it. And it's one of those, it's in plain sight. 
And it seems so obvious when you think about it, but the industry is one that's very slow to change. It's expensive. It can be risky to change. And so you just get used to the status quo, which is I'll put up a lot of glass and then I'll figure it out later. I'll put up blinds. Maybe I'll put up external blinds. I'll jack up my AC. I'll do other things, not knowing that there might be an alternative. And this is that alternative is what if the very thing that you want to put on there because of aesthetics, because of the connection to the outdoors, the natural light that we all need, you don't want to work in a concrete box, right? What if you could do that and block that, the damaging uh, sun, block the heat that jacks up your AC bill. Um, and by the way, as you just experienced, still see outside. So you still have the connection. You're just blocking all the harmful parts. And that's exactly what we're playing in. Yeah. And when we, when we just watch it transform, it's like just a regular, you know, clear glass looks like any other glass. And then you kind of see this, uh, almost like holographic kind of thing happening. And then all of a sudden, you know, a minute later, or a couple minutes later, it's, it's transformed. And it is one of those technologies you literally can't see it. <laughs> right. And I think that when you, it's kind of like, I almost look at it similar to like how the solar, everyone's like, oh, well, we can just put solar on everybody's houses. But that kind of like comes with a, an actual cost of like, you have solar sitting on your roof and there's other things that go into that. Um, but this is like every new building, obviously it's more expensive than regular glass, but like you're going to see cost savings. You're going to see these sort of things from a sales perspective, from a marketing perspective, it seems like people would be pretty excited about it. Uh, even with some of the hesitancy of kind of like the, the ecosystem and all that. Um, so who is, who are you selling this to? What does that look like? How do you market to these folks? Yeah. I'll give an example that speaks to how we're going to market as well is uh, one of our uh, partners is a large a real estate company uh, called Al Alexandria Real Estate. They're one of the largest REITs in America, several billion dollars worth of um, real estate assets at any given time. They serve to generally higher end clients, um, you know, life sciences buildings. They build a lot of these biotech buildings you see in San Francisco, around the country. The why they partnered with us is for some of the very reasons you touched on. But beyond that is the trends are all towards increasing pressure around people building buildings to think harder about how they're building buildings. So if you're going to put all that glass in there, you better think about how you're going to block all that heat, lower your energy uh, usage. And so for a company like Alexandria Real Estate, they're looking at the changing building codes here in California. We deal with Title 24. There's examples around the country you know, Bill de Blasio, you know, very publicly went on the record saying they're going to change all the codes in New York, for example. When you look at those changing environment, it's not just a whether I like this or not. It's what's catching up to that is the building codes themselves. And so for a company like Alexandria Real Estate, the only way they could build the building they wanted to and satisfy their tenants is to do something like this. For them, it was, this is almost an amenity. It's the equivalent of putting in a uh, you know, a gym into your building is I need to attract the best tenants. I want to, you know, make sure that they're happy and I need to be able to meet my building codes. I can't do it with the current products I have. Only way I can do it is to, to, to use something like this. When I think that this is just a, it's a common thing that I think marketers deal with some marketers, not all. Um, you have a product that you love, that you believe in, that, you know, you know, the customer, once they have it, that they're going to be happy, but getting them on that journey, getting them on that path. You're like, 
10 years from now, I promise you're still going to be happy. Like, and this Mm -hmm. truly is one of those type of products, right? It's like 10 years from now, like you're going to be happy. You want to be on this journey with us. Like, I promise you. Um, but getting them on the journey is, is the hard part. Um, how, how do you kind of look at customer journey in that aspect? Yeah, the first thing, as you, as you just touched on, is there's, in, in my experience, whether it was uh, at Bose or iRobot, and I applied the, some of the similar learnings to my time here at Canestral, is there are two fundamental questions with any new tech or any new type of uh, you know, sea change you have to answer. And the first one, and it's universal. I, you know, I, I had doubts that it would apply to the construction industry. I've found is exactly the same, which is the first one is, does it work? So that's your first hurdle. And so the, you need to get out there and find ways to show them that it works. And you just experienced one way we just, we experimented with is we built a small house, <laughs> right? And one way is to just get them in front of it. Don't trust me, trust your own eyes. Do you, did you believe what you saw? Perfect. We're, we're, we're walking down that path. Uh, the second thing is, is when you get into, especially the construction industry, it's a little different than just selling someone a widget from their home is I have a relationship with you one-to-one in the construction industry. There might be 10 different people you have to convince, you know, it's the owner and the developer. Certainly those are the guys writing the check, but if the architect doesn't like it, if the engineer doesn't like it, if the, you know, the, the tenant doesn't like it, there are, there are any number of people that can derail this, this process if you don't talk to all of them. So that's the second part is, is it, does this work? Who am I talking to? And then finally, once you figure out who I'm talking to, the, the, the other big question is, does it work for my project? And that's the very personal thing. It's like, you don't understand I'm building, you know, the world's best hospital. You don't understand my project. And that's when it gets very personal. This is going to be the thing that uh, I held from you. Um, so we did a podcast called Future Cities in partnership with Katera. And so we went through, we did um, 10 episodes about all sorts of different things that are changing. Um, you know, what do future cities look like? We actually didn't talk about glass too much, but we did a little bit and like lead certifications and how building buildings is changing. But what's so interesting about buildings, take like Salesforce Tower or whatever it is, as an example, Salesforce who sponsored this podcast, might add, and who we love, um, you, when they built that building, there's only one of it, right? So every building in and of itself, unless you're doing something like Katera or doing some sort of prefabrication or something, is going to be, like you said, something unique, something that the architect and everybody is creating a lot of times from scratch and they, their fingerprints are, they want them to be very unique. And so, um, it's not like other industries where you have something where, um, you know, there's, there's so much individualization and personalization and things like that, that it does matter to all of the different stakeholders. Right. Yeah. So in contrast to my, my prior companies in, in marketing, where you make a million Roombas, and the only difference you get is a, a spare brush or something. You're right, is the industry today works, it's mass custom. And so how do you operate in that space where the technology and the product really would love for this to be you know, mass produced, same thing over and over, but the industry saying, no way, this is a special one-off just for me. And I think that that gets to a little bit of like, you know, ABM strategy and things like that, where, you know, I need to shape a room with 12 personas and those personas are completely different. Like 
Completely. They don't even work at the same company in a lot of cases, mm-hmm. right? You know, with contractors and subcontractors and all these things. And you need to have all of them on board to at a minimum be like, yeah, I'm good with it sort of thing. So how do you look at that that type of uh, impacting those type of personas? Yeah, I think, first of all, you just need to take them one by one. If you try to do it in aggregate, your head will explode. Um, and we we look at exactly, we create personas. In fact, we have 12. <laughs> Are they enough? You Gosh. picked it out of, yeah, we have 12. And, and then you rank them and you say, including understanding their motivations, um, you know, what their problems are, you know, how much of a factor they have on the decision-making process. And you start at the top and you go to the ones that have the most outweighed impact on the decision-making. And if you can get those guys, that's a really good start. I think maybe the mistake may be is, oh, I can stop there. And so then it says, but we can't forget about these other guys that have a lot of influence, including things like, you may not think about it the first pass, but city planners. They can make your life really miserable if you don't spend the time to explain to them, no, this is going to help what you're doing. This is, this is all good. <laughs> so it's hitting all of them. Shout out to my, my father-in-law, the former city planner of, uh, of Orange. It's amazing, like, in just talking with him and, like, the role of city planners and how that stuff works. I mean, it really is fascinating, right? I mean, it's like, and the other thing, especially with construction, and, you know, you could use this for, for any industry that you're marketing to that is a little old school is where there's kind of like, you know, doing things the way that's always been done. Well, it's kind of that way. And in construction, it's definitely that way for a reason, right? Because you're talking about safety. You're talking about, like, well, we just know we've used this product 50 times for our last 50 buildings. So to add in something new is unforeseen training. It's unforeseen teaching. It's unforeseen, um, you know, explaining. And it's like when you have, you know, quite literally, you know, a hundred different things that are materials that are going into a building, like some people just don't want to do that explaining. So where does marketing come in, right? To help explain those things. Yeah. And what's interesting too about something, what we're doing is, it is, it's changing the dynamic, the buying dynamic. And as you said, there can be a disconnect between the emotional, oh, I think that's a cool thing. And my job is on the line if I screw this up, right? And that's where you start to get things that will break down. I I can look at this and say, this is amazing. I want this. However, I have a small contracting company that if I mess up, I might get sued and I'm out of you know, I'm out of work, right? So there's very real practicalities you have to deal with. And the other side of it is most of the industry, especially in the building products space, most of that is commoditized. And so that buying behavior is very different as well. It's, I'm going to buy my glass. It's a line item on a bill of materials. It's just, you know, one item of a thousand I have to purchase for this billing to be successful. For something like what we're doing, we actually have to ask them to think about it differently, which is, no, actually, this is the equivalent of buying glass plus blinds, plus an IT system that's going to do some intelligent things for you, plus a building automation system. It's thinking about it more like a system than it is a specific commoditized element. And that in itself is, it takes some training. And because today, everybody knows how to buy glass. There is a procedure. There is a time in, in, in space where this happens. And basically what I'm asking them to do is do this different. And that in itself causes some friction. So what are some of the cool campaigns or things that, that you've done that you're excited about or just uh, kind of some funny anecdotes? Yeah, the first one um, with 
uh, Canestral, I would say, uh, an interesting experience for me in giving a lot of demonstrations. I've given a lot of demonstrations as we just did. And we, as a small company, a startup, we, we host, you know, billionaire investors. We bring, you know, some of the, the big luminaries of the, of the industry through, and that's a little intimidating. You see these guys in their suits come in and you give a demonstration and they're, you know, very uh, stern and their arms are folded and they know everything about everything. And I think the fun thing for me is I wish I would have taken a tally, but I would say in the 95th percentile of these guys that get a demonstration will stop me at some point and say, I need this in my kitchen. You know, it's just, there's something very personal about it. And once you have that experience of blocking the sun, your head goes to someplace. Like I have a skylight in my, in my bathroom that just crushes me while I'm, you know, brushing my teeth or, you know, there's always something very personal that it comes to. And I always like those moments. Yeah. That moment for me is every single time I look at blinds and I'm like, these are so awful. <laughs> it's just absolutely the worst. Um, and then you like set them up and you have to, and then they like fall apart. And like, how many people do you think in America have one blind in their house? That's like, at a 45 degree angle that just fell. I know for a fact, I have one in my house that looks like that. I'm like, I know I just need to take a screw and put it back up. But anyway. Well, the other, the other one I would say is you get around the, the water cooler and start sharing stories is related to fiddling with the blinds, but also how personal it is. And I, I was, I, I shared a, a story with my, my last company is I sat next to uh, one of my colleagues and we, had self-adjusting, you know, we had to adjust the blinds and every morning it was West facing. So every morning, um, every morning it was, uh, uh, sorry, it was East facing. So every morning that sun would come up and just crush us. And so there you were pulling the blinds, but everybody has different sensitivities to it. So I was telling stories how I'd like go to the bathroom and come back and the blinds were up and yeah. I'd have to, you know, like what, what just happened? I'd have to pull the bag down. And then you go to a meeting, you come back, the blinds are back up. You know, it was this constant fiddling and no one's happy. And, uh, you know, the, once you start sharing those stories, you, everybody has an aversion of that. Is they, you know, their, their, their wife likes it one way and they like it another way. And it's just this constant battle. As a marketer, the thing that's challenging is you are not selling to any of those people, right? Right. All of the future employees that work in building X the, all of those stakeholders that you're trying to ultimately make happy, plus the, you know, facilities manager who, you know, gets the bill every month for, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the heating and cooling bill, um, you will never talk to those people. And they're never like, I mean, maybe you'll get some word of mouth action of like, hey, this is really cool from like maybe the leadership team or something like that, or like the next tenants or whatever it is. But ultimately, you know, you're not selling to them. You're selling to the person that needs to make the building. And once they make the building, or manage the building in certain cases, obviously it's like, then it's like, that's it. Right. And that's just, a, it's a tricky sale. It's a tricky sale. You're exactly right. Is the people paying for the facade are different than the people paying for the interior treatments. So by definition, you have a disconnect there. There's no real incentive financially for the people paying for the facade to worry about that unless there's pressure from the tenant. And that is where we're at from a, from a, from an industry perspective where we're seeing some things that are in our favor is first of all, is there's a whole generation, uh, the millennial generation coming up who are very vocal about where they work. They're very, uh, vocal about, um, the causes and the, and the sustainability. Purpose, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. And they're, and they're influencing the people they work for it by joining those companies. And there's, as we know, the, you know, unemployment is very low. There's a lot of 
competition for the best talent and they're voting with their, with their, you know, their, their jobs. And so now there's that, why that's in a benefit is the tenant themselves are being pressured to say, no, I have to make a delightful place to work that I feel healthy and I feel productive in. And coincidentally, one of the, or two of the biggest things that show up on all these surveys around things that make you feel healthy and productive while you're inside are access to natural light and access to views. Yep. Absolutely. We were both talking about, you know, looking at places in Oakland and shopping for places in it. Our number two criteria on the list is, is lots of sun, lots of natural light. Right. Um, and the way that we build buildings is totally, I mean, you look at some of the buildings from the sixties and stuff, these like giant, like prison towers of like, you know, not tons of light and tons of concrete and all that. And look at building stairs, totally. It's all windows looks totally different. Right. And if you've ever been in one of those buildings, you know, right away, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. miserable, right? Yeah. I was in the army. Every building is, it's all concrete. You've done tons of demos. Everybody says that they wish they had it in their kitchen. So how do you get from, I wish you had it in my kitchen to like, let's figure out a way that you know, we put this in, in your new complex or whatever it is. Yeah, that's a, it's a great question for where we are as a company too. We got started in the commercial space. And the reason is because of the, some of the things you touched on earlier is yes, they're all custom, but a lot of these big buildings are really big. So at a certain scale, it starts to feel like a standard project, right? So, you know, a large 20 story building most of those windows are of the same shape and size for economies of scale. So in that regard, it starts to feel more like a standard project and your cost of sales come down, you can get, um, you know, experience and exposure. So it made a ton of sense to start with commercial buildings. But to that point is we've seen a ton of demand for a product, our, our Halio product in homes. The challenge, frankly, is just the same one, which is as you shrink the size of the project, everything becomes one-off. And that is just not a sustainable or scalable approach uh, for, for a, a technology system. And so the trick has been, well, how do we make it feel like a custom solution, but work more towards something that can scale? Because we think it frankly should be in every house. And the only way you can get it there is if you can get your cost of sales down, right? Your cost of goods. And so part of that is scale, but part of that is making that as as consistent as possible. And so where we're in the process now is just that, is making partnerships. In fact, we have a partnership, you mentioned Katera, we have a partnership with Katera. Um, looking at just that, how do we make this more scalable, um, make it feel like it's custom while driving towards standardization, uh, such that we can you know, you know, get it to the point where it's accessible to more, more people. Well, I mean, you look at like what happened with like dual pane windows, right? Becoming like you know, every kind of a standard, you know, after a while, or, you know, every house that you go in, it's like, Ooh, updates, like dual pane windows and all that sort of stuff. You know, some of these, sometimes these things just, you know, take time, uh, for, you know, potentially, you know, decades to, to kind of just become mainstream. Um, but for things like Katera, where they're doing like massive projects or, or these sort of things, it seems like every new, like you want to be, every time someone's talking about a new project, like you want them to be, uh, you know, at least demoing your product, right? Like right. how do you look at success in terms of uh, like your marketing strategies and your plans? Yeah, I think there are certain metrics, you know, as a young company, you know, if you're creating a product that reaches millions of people, your metrics are, are easier to come by, right? You can do a, a survey or you can do, uh, you know, all the Google analytics in the world, all the analytics platforms you might have. When you're 
in in the process of you know hundreds or or even thousands, it's it's harder. So as as a our metrics are a little different from a marketing perspective. Um, you can still look at things, common things like you know share of voice and things like that to gauge are people hearing about us. The ones we care about today are as we talked about that, you asked about the customer journey and, and some of the people we're trying to get at owners and developers and architects. I really care about, are the top 10 architecture firms able to say something about Halio? You know, when we go back to the same event and we see the same people, do they remember us? Do we get referrals? You know, those a little more anecdotal, a little more qualitative, but those are the types of things we care about, or are we getting a referral from, a big name like Alexandria Real Estate. That to us is a good metric to say we're doing something right. <laughs> and as we scale, of course, we'll be able to leverage, you know, best practice, you know, marketing metrics that that are out there, all the tools that exist. When you have a fairly small install base or a fairly small um, customer base, um, relatively speaking, you have to come kind of come up with your own metrics. And and those are the types of things we look at. Any fun stories from uh, from my robot Roomba days, or or even the you know the Bose stuff? I mean, Bose is so interesting. Like, I have, I have two stories: one from Bose, one from iRobot. Uh, one from Bose was um, I was at uh, the company during the digital multimedia revolution, and if you know the history of Bose, they're you know old analog loudspeaker company, right? That was their that was their bread and butter. So we were looking at my job, frankly, was to help grow the multimedia group. And we did some of the first speaker systems for like iPods, for example. Now it's just everywhere, yeah. right? And you just assume. But at the time, that was pretty revolutionary for Bose. It was a big departure. And one of the products I worked on was a wireless, a long range wireless speaker, a portable one. So, it's, you know, you could take it out to your pool or whatever and stream from your, from your laptop in the house. And that was a bit of sacrilege in the company. And one of the big things at Bose was when you did a product introduction, you did it big. We did it in the auditorium in front of 300 plus of the movers and shakers of the company. And so this was early in my career there, terrified. The first time in front of this 300 plus um, crowd of all of the executives and big big people at Bose. And we were going to demonstrate this wireless product. And we created these two vignettes that look like a living room in a, in a den. And we were going to show that I could you know, move this, this music wirelessly from my computer to the den. And the idea we had was to show the range. What if we were to take this thing and I could pick it up and run up the stairs around the auditorium with this thing like a boombox on my shoulder? We were having a little fun late at night one night. We were like, that'd be pretty cool. And Everybody shot it down. I was like, this is, this is a disaster. It's wireless. It's going to fail, you know? And it came down to my boss who was, he said to me, listen, this is a risky thing. We tried it a couple of times. It sort of worked. I wouldn't do it if I were you, but I'll leave it up to you. And it was one of those things where game time, you know, the lights were on, I was on the stage. I had the thing. And what, what prompted me was we had made this playlist. It was on screen. And one of the executives, sales executives looked at it and made some yelled out in the middle of this auditorium, this wise comment, you must really like eye of the tiger. And I paused and it was one of those gotcha moments. And I looked up and somehow we had copied eye of the tiger twice into this playlist. And I was just like, I guess I got to do this. And so it was, you know what? You're right. And I hit the, I hit the button, played the song and I ran up the stairs around the top of the auditorium, back down, 
breathless. It worked flawlessly. It was a risk. And, you know, everybody applauded. It was one of those turning point moments, you know, it could have gone horribly wrong. Yeah. I, uh, I definitely would have not done it. And I appreciate your moxie because, uh, I mean, maybe I, I don't know. I have the tiger. I mean, you know, it's like, I appreciate the, uh, the commitment to the bit because as soon as, as soon as it, you just have to go with your gut. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It was one where thinking back is if we just stopped with those little vignettes, it would have been like, eh, I know, you know, that's awesome. And then the second was an iRobot. You know, we had ro- we had you know, Roombas galore. We were talking about Roombas earlier. Um, it was in the early days when I joined, um, iRobot, they'd, they'd kind of cleaned house. They were starting over, they had gone public and, uh, the business was flagging and they, they, they cleaned house from a marketing perspective. And I was part of the crew that was there to kind of re relaunch the, the business. And one of the observations from a social media perspective was, um, there were a couple of things that led to this campaign, but the first was people were really engaged, not because we did anything special, just because it was robots. They were running around their house, bumping into things. They were putting their cats and their dogs on them. I was just going to say the cats and the dogs on them is enough viral videos that, yeah, no, it's great. So we just stumbled into it. You know, I'd love to say we you know, take credit for it, but people just being goofy with their, their Roombas. And one guy had gone so far as to create this really obnoxious song, a Roomba song, and he recorded it and he posted it and somebody found it. And we're like, well, this is, who would do this? <laughs> you know? And, but it led down this whole path where it was like, people are on their own time making videos and songs about this Roomba. What is it? We got something here. And at the time we were, we were young, we were, you know, young group, um, very quirky engineering company. Um, and you know, our, our VP of marketing at the time had the idea was what if we did a robot dance competition? And everybody was like, that sounds weird. You know, <laughs> you know, that sounds like this could backfire, but we ended up doing it. And so what ended up happening was uh, we filmed this promotion and found some very popular um, like pop and lock, like dance artists. Oh my God. Oh, it was ridiculous. And, you know, um, uh, I think one of the guys' name is Marky Scott. There's a, there's a few others that were, you know, at the, at the time were really popular. And we got, we, we got them to perform like a robot dance in this really quirky, promotional spot that included this song. We re-recorded the song that this person had created, this Roomba song, and it's totally obnoxious. But the video turned out really cool, very quirky, really, uh, you know, spoke to the, to the kind of tone and the tenor of the company. Um, and uh, we had this competition, which was, here's this video, we're having a, a competition. You submit your own version of the robot dance, and we're going to hold a, a, you know, whoever wins will get, you know, a free Roomba. I was the skeptic. I was like, no one, no one's going to do this. This is ridiculous. And we had hundreds of submissions. People took it so serious. They had these amazing recordings of them dancing with their Roombas and everything. And it would turn into this really kind of viral, um, amazing engagement with our customers that kind of set the tone for all the marketing activity after that. In fact, you know, part of the country, uh, the company's um, mission includes this kind of quirkiness and it just, it's part of the ethos of the company and it fit really well. I love that. And it's like one of those, um, like steer into the curve thing of like, if people are making funny videos about your product, like leverage that, you know, right. Um, yeah. I love that. That's <laughs> yeah. a great, great idea. And giving, giving away stuff for free, like what, who, who cares? <laughs> right. It's the cost of a Roomba, right? Yeah, it was, it was great. Okay. Before we get out of here, let's do our lightning round. Thank you to Salesforce for just being awesome and sponsoring this show. Go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more about all the different ways that Salesforce can help you with marketing. Lighting around questions. Craig, are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, what app on your phone is the most fun? I'd say Amazon Music. Favorite thing to cook or eat? 
Bulgogi beef. Favorite vacation spot? Hawaii. Favorite TV show or podcast you're watching or listening to? Revisionist history. Oh, so good. Hidden talent or passion? I play the ukulele. Oh, that's a good one. Best advice for first-time VP of marketing? Don't be afraid to fail. It's a it's a trite thing, but I've learned this with Canestrel is uh, when you're doing something for the first time, you can't expect to get it right the first time. That's it. That's all we got. Thanks for hanging out today. We uh, Everyone should check out Canestrel if you're interested uh, in learning more about some really cool, smart glass. Um, any final thoughts? I think we covered it. Awesome. Thanks again. Thank you. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.